Fair warning, I'm going to go a few minutes longer than normal today because we're starting a new series, and I'm going to give a little introduction to the series before uh, we get into today's sermon. Um, So here's the deal. Before coronavirus, we were planning on going back into our um, study through the book of Ephesians after Easter, and as we were nearing the end of that series, um, as I was praying, I was just like, gosh, it just doesn't feel right. I think God has something more specific for us in this season. Um, and so we began to pray. I began to ask the Lord, what is that? Because I don't think that God wants to just get us through this season. I think he wants to do some very specific work in us in the middle of this season. As far as I can tell from my own personal life, as far as I can tell from scripture, it is in the difficult seasons, not in the seasons of blessing, when God does his best work in and through us. Uh, there's no promised land without a wilderness experience before it. Um, I know that we're all in this like waiting period. We feel like we're in a waiting room, like just waiting for like the door to open and somebody to be like, hey, here's what's happening, right? We're all like on the edge of what's the government going to say next? When is, what's the next thing? When is this? What's the new date? We're all in this like waiting period, but I want to remind us that it is in the waiting that God works. In the wilderness, God is moving. And I don't think that he's done working. Otherwise, we wouldn't still be waiting. Um, So I felt compelled to preach into this uh, season and create a series for such a time as this. So it's a nine-week series, and it is titled, Such a Time as This, Hidden Treasures from the Cave of Quarantine. (laughs) Such a time as this, Hidden Treasures from the Cave of Quarantine. And this phrase, such a time as this, um, it comes from the book of Esther, And uh, Esther was a Hebrew woman, but she was made to be queen in Persia, actually against her will. And and this phrase comes from something that her cousin who had raised her um, said to her. He wrote her a letter when she was in the palace, and she said this. Uh, I'm not going to put it up on the screen, so just listen. In Esther 4, Mordecai, her cousin, sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all the other Jews are killed because there was... uh, like an evil man in the palace who was like gonna, he was trying to kill her brothers and sisters, her countrymen, if you will, her, her, her Jew, your Jewish family. Um, and he says to her, if you keep quiet at this time, deliverance and relief from the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die, super gnarly. And then he says this, who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this? Christian pop culture likes to take this phrase and like make it all like warm and cute and like, you know, screen printed on coffee shop or coffee mugs and t-shirts. But Mordecai was actually scolding Esther when he used this phrase for her self-indulgent, self-preserving mindset. And specifically, listen, specifically scolding her for missing what God was wanting to do in and through her situation. God had her where she was for a purpose. That is the such a time as this that Mordecai challenged Esther to accept. And it's the same such a time as this that God is uh, inviting us 
into in this season. I don't think that we're in this season just to survive it. I think that we are in it to thrive in it. Esther was essentially forced to become queen, but God used um, her situation for her good and then her good for the good of her people. And I think that God wants to use this situation um, for your good, for my good, and then that good that he's doing in us, I think he wants to use that for the good of our people, just like he did with Esther's people. Is it easy? Uh, Probably not. Is it fun? Probably not. But it's gonna be good, and it is good. So our prayer over the next nine weeks is that we will discover hidden and unexpected treasures from this, what I'm calling a cave of quarantine that we are all isolated to. And that we, like Esther, will begin to align our thoughts with the thoughts of God for us, for this season, for those around us. And we would begin to embrace it, um, embrace the fact that we are where we are for a reason and maybe even put here by God for such a time as this. So we're starting today with a sermon called Surprised by Isolation. Title of the sermon is Surprised by Isolation. So if you have a Bible, uh, you should already be in Exodus chapter three. I'm gonna be reading and preaching from the New Living Translation, the NLT there. Um, While you're getting to Exodus chapter three, I want you to repeat a few words uh, out loud, okay? So if you're in this room, just say it with me. Say, um, isolation. Isolation. Say, revelation. Revelation. Say, emancipation. Emancipation. Transformation. Transformation. Preparation. Preparation. Destination. Destination. Salvation. Salvation. Restoration. Restoration. Eight Asians. (laughs) that we're going to be looking at today. Eight, the number of restoration, by the way, the number of new beginnings. Here is my thesis statement for this sermon. This is where we are going. From isolation, God brought a revelation, which led to emancipation and transformation in preparation for their destination. But from that destination, God brought salvation. And from that destination, he will bring complete and ultimate restoration. But where did it all begin? A revelation in isolation, a surprising revelation in isolation. Let me pray for us. Father, We ask that you would encourage our hearts through your word now. I need my heart to be encouraged, God. Many of us need our hearts to be encouraged. Open our eyes to see everything that you want us to see. Open our eyes to find the hidden treasures, even from the middle of this cave of quarantine. We ask it in the powerful, life-changing name of Jesus. Amen. So I'd like to look at the story of uh, the Exodus as an illustration for how God often works. This is not um, an exhaustive dissertation on the Exodus. This is like a 10,000-foot perspective um, in order to see this pattern 
um, throughout the story. So the people of God, uh, you can call them the children of Israel, the Israelites, um, just the Hebrew people, uh, they're living in Egypt, okay? And they are multiplying, like God had told, had told them to, you know, have babies. They're having babies, they're doing it. And, but they're growing so fast and so big that the Pharaoh at the time gets freaked out and he's like, oh snap, like these people are gonna overtake us. If they join with our enemies, they could come against us and overtake us. So I'm gonna do two things to um, stop that. Number one, we are going to enslave all of the Israelites. We are going to make them our slaves. We were already letting them be here as like a favor. We're gonna enslave them. And second of all, any newborn baby uh, boy from the Hebrew people, they have to be murdered. So crazy, they have to be thrown into the Nile. Um, And so Moses is born during this time and his mom, in an attempt to save his life, wraps him up in a blanket, sticks him in a basket puts him in the river, sends him down the river toward Pharaoh's house, hoping that maybe somebody in Pharaoh, besides Pharaoh, would find him, uh, fall in love with him, have mercy on him, and adopt Moses as their own. And that's exactly what happens. Uh, Pharaoh's daughter finds Moses, um, adopts him, and Moses grows up in the house of Pharaoh. But he knows that he's a Hebrew, um, and he knows where he came from. And when he's older, he's out and about, and he sees uh, an Egyptian slave master beating on one of Moses's Hebrew brothers. And in rage, um, he takes revenge and kills this Egyptian man, buries him, but some people see. He finds out, oh no, people found out. And so he flees the country. He flees uh, the empire. He flees Egypt. And he goes to a land called Midian. In Midian, he meets his wife, has some kids, becomes a shepherd, and then he gets pretty old. And uh, this pattern that I want us to see begins with Moses out there in Midian, shepherd, married, old, and it starts with an isolation. You say it out loud, isolation. Isolation. So one day Moses is shepherding his sheep. He decides to keep walking away from civilization into the wilderness until he is way out by himself with, listen, no one around. Can I call it an isolation? Okay. Let's see what happens. In Exodus chapter three, you should be there. Uh, in verse one, it says, one day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. Creation began with Adam by himself, alone, before there was Eve. After the whole planet was wiped out, it was just Noah and his family, alone. Um, Abraham, when he got the call, 
to go to a, a land that I will show you, a land flowing with milk and honey, and I will, I will bless your, your, your bloodline, and, and the, all the nations will be blessed through you. Abraham was called out of his land of like a concentrated population by himself, his family, by themselves, all isolating situations, if you will. And now Moses is alone, isolated in the wilderness, while his people are detained against their will, which I think is an uncanny parallel because that's how some of you guys feel right now. Like you are detained against your will, staying home. Like, these are my rights. I should be able to gather with people. Uh, There's Moses in the middle of nowhere by himself. And suddenly, like, what? There's a bush on fire and it's not being consumed. Surprise, surprise, Moses wasn't actually alone in his isolation. God was there with him in the isolation. What was he doing? In Moses' isolation, God was bringing a revelation. Say it out loud, revelation. Revelation. Many of us know the story. God goes on to tell Moses, I've seen the oppression of my people, your people. He calls them your people, the Moses, which is pretty rad. Um, And... He, he says, I, I want to deliver um, our people. I want to deliver the people of God from their suffering. I want to use you to do it. And so he brings this revelation right there. While Moses is in isolation, he brings a revelation, one, about himself, who God is, and two, about Moses, who Moses will be. God's like, I'm the deliverer. I'm going to deliver my people. And he's like, and you, you're like a junior deliverer. You're going to deliver your people. It's a revelation of God's character and it is a revelation of Moses, uh, his calling and his identity. What's my point? Moses was alone in the wilderness when God revealed this to him. And this is not the only time we see this pattern. Later on, when the children of Israel are wandering in the wilderness, they built this mobile worship center. They called it the, the tent of meeting or the tabernacle. And Moses would go in there and talk with God and all the people would like wait outside to see what happened. And God's presence would rest over the tent. And it says in Exodus 33, and inside the tent of meeting, the Lord, listen, would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Why is this significant for the point of this sermon? Because Moses went into the tent alone. He was alone. God spoke to him face to face when he was alone. When the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle or in the temple, he was alone when God would manifest his presence there. Later on in Exodus 34, God hides Moses in the crevice of a rock and reveals his glory to Moses. Moses is alone. The apostle John was exiled to the island of Patmos against his will, by the way, and it was in exile on an island that he had a revelation of Jesus. The book of Revelation is literally called the Revelation of Jesus, if being exiled to a remote island is not isolation, then I don't know what is. Now, it's not necessarily that isolation in and of itself brings revelation, but I do think that isolation has a way of giving God space to work the way that he wants to work. And God does have a history of bringing revelation to people when they're alone and even when they're isolated. 
I believe that God wants to bring revelation in this isolation. I really believe that, church family. And it was this revelation from isolation that led to Israel's emancipation. Say it out loud, emancipation. Emancipation. Hey, if you're not saying it out loud, you need to say it out loud, all right? You're not having to do anything. You might not even got dressed this morning. You need to say it out loud. Say it one more time, emancipation. Emancipation. God told Moses at the burning bush, uh, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I am aware of their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them. God spoke to Moses. Moses went to Pharaoh and told him to let his people go. Pharaoh wouldn't listen. God sends plagues on Egypt until Pharaoh finally lets God's people go. Then God leads his people out of Egypt. He rescues them like he said he would through the Red Sea into the wilderness. God has set his people free. God has liberated his people. Say liberation. Liberation. Say emancipation. Emancipation. Say Eradication of subjugation. Eradication of subjugation. Somebody just say it out loud. Say freedom. Freedom. God's people are free. But then they're stuck in the wilderness (laughs) for 40 years. No permanent residence. No neighbors. No clue if they're actually going to get to where God and Moses said They were supposed to go. They're far away from anyone else, all by themselves. Can we call it some form of isolation? It was so bad that the people said in Exodus 16, it would have been better if God had left us in Egypt to die. They were like, at least there we ate meat. That's what they said. At least there we had meat. But what was God doing in their wilderness that was so bad that they wished they had been back as slaves in Egypt. Surprise, surprise. It wasn't just about their emancipation from subjugation. God was bringing transformation. Say it out loud. Transformation. Transformation. In isolation, Moses got a revelation that led to emancipation but God also wanted to bring transformation. See, God doesn't just liberate, God consecrates. The children of Israel did not wander in the wilderness for 40 years because God was lost. The children of Israel wandered in the wilderness because that's how long it took for God to transform them from being slaves to worshipers, from being servants to sons from being doers to daughters. God was transforming them from being an enslaved people to being a sanctified people. He was teaching them who he was and who they were intended to be. Man, the children of Israel have been in Egypt for hundreds of years, influenced by pagan gods, enslaved to Pharaoh. They had all but forgotten who they were and and who God uh, was. Heck yeah, it took 40 years to transform that. He was making them a holy people. He said to them while they were in the wilderness in Exodus 19, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth. You will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. I was trying to imagine myself this week I'm a slave, okay? I'm like been enslaved my whole life, 
right? And my parents were also. Almighty God is saying this to me? Like, what? Like, they weren't anybody's treasure before. They weren't, they weren't nobody's, they weren't a kingdom. They weren't a nation. They weren't priests. They weren't ever holy. God was transforming them into what they were called to be and what he saw them to be. See, God didn't want to just get his people out of Egypt. He wanted to get, his, get Egypt out of his people, right? Let me say it again. God doesn't just want to get his people out of Egypt. God wants to get Egypt out of his people. Let me say it another way. God doesn't just want to get his people into his kingdom. He wants to get his kingdom into his people. Let me say it again. God doesn't just want to get his people into his kingdom. He wants to get his kingdom into his people. He wants his kingdom to be birthed in his people. That's called transformation. But it's not necessarily fun. And it's not necessarily easy. And it's not always quick, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> You ever seen a butterfly turn from a caterpillar into uh, a butterfly? Like, it is a grueling process. What's funny is during the caterpillar season, because we used to do this with our kids, we'd get these caterpillar butterfly kits, right? So we could watch the metamorphosis. When they're a caterpillar, they're just chilling, right? They're just like, <laughs> just like, right? They're just cruising. They're just cruising. And then when they're a butterfly, same thing. They're just, that's just sad. I was surfing the other day. Butterfly. It's like butterfly season. Right? Butterflies flying around. It's just like, no struggle. The struggle is in the transformational period. My kids were cool. When we'd get the caterpillars, we'd set them up in the little net thing cage. Uh, and they were cool when they became butterflies. Then they were fine waiting. What they weren't cool with was the period when they were transforming from being a caterpillar to a butterfly because those things are struggling. If you've ever seen them, they're like, and you're like, oh, they're going to die. And my little kids would be like, daddy, daddy, look look at it because they're all like, like they're morphing, right? They're like, it does not look good. It is painful and it is the hardest part. The transformation is the hardest and most painful part. The hardest and most painful part is the transformational period when God is um, making us something new and more glorious. But it's mandatory, man. God is bringing us from glory to glory. And uh, usually, in my experience, it's done in the, the wilderness periods. Um, it hurts, it's, it's a struggle fire. That burns. And yet it has a way of making things pure and beautiful. Pressure. That hurts. And yet it has a way of forging diamonds. 40 years in the wilderness has a way of transforming God's people. It wasn't just about getting God's people out of Egypt. And friends, this quarantine is not just about us getting through it. You're still in the wilderness, not because God is lost. You're still in the wilderness because God is not done. He's bringing transformation. And that's the surprise for me, man. When you're like alone and you feel isolated in the wilderness, God is right there transforming you into the image of his beloved son. So from isolation, God brought a revelation. It's hot today, man. God brought a revelation which led to the emancipation and transformation of God's people. 
but this was in preparation for what was coming. Say it out loud. Preparation. Preparation. God was preparing his people for what was coming next. Deuteronomy 8, again, while they're in the wilderness. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land flowing with uh, flowing streams and pools of water with fountains and springs that gush into the valleys and hills. It is a land where food is plentiful and nothing is lacking. God is always preparing us for what is coming. And when I look back at the most trying seasons of my life, um, there's been honestly some pretty like unbelievable transformation that took place. Uh, but now that I see it, I look back at the last 23 years of walking with the Lord um, and I realize that, gosh, it wasn't just a transformation. It was actually preparation for something that was coming. And it seems to me that that transformation and preparation most often happens in the desert seasons. I think that's probably why um, Paul the Apostle immediately went to the desert right after he was born again for three years. He says in Galatians 1, 17, that God sent him to the desert. Why? I think God was preparing him. Um, Jonah, he was in the belly of the whale for three days, isolated, um, before he stepped into what God had called him to do. What was happening there? I think God was preparing him. He was working on him. He was transforming him to... uh, for pre- to prepare him for the destination, right? Jesus was in the wilderness alone for 40 years, isolated in the wilderness. Sorry, not 40 years, 40 days isolated in the wilderness right before he began his public ministry. What was the father doing? The father was preparing him through testing him. We can't dismiss this. God doesn't waste isolated desert-like times There is always preparation in the isolation. God is preparing you for something, just like God was preparing his people for what was coming next. And that's the surprise, right? It wasn't just about the people trying to get through the wilderness experience. It wasn't even just about the transformation that was taking place in them, as good as it may have been. But the transformation was in preparation for something. There was a a purpose in the pressure. There was working in the waiting. The transformation was preparation for a destination. Say it out loud. Destination. Destination. God was bringing his people somewhere. He was preparing them for a destination. That's what he was doing in the wilderness. He was preparing them for the destination he was bringing them to. God had promised this to Abraham way back in Genesis 12. Go to the land I will show you. God told Moses in Exodus 3, I am bringing you to a land flowing with milk and honey. There was a destination in mind. There was an end goal in mind. God was preparing them for the promise and then God delivered on his promise. It says in Joshua 21, and so the Lord gave to Israel all the land he had shown or sworn to give their ancestors and they took possession of it and settled there. And it was good. It really was a land flowing with milk and honey, a spacious land. It really was the promised land, just like God had said. 
surprise, surprise, the painful transformation was preparation for a destination. It was not for naught. It is never for naught. But here's what's more. The destination, as far as I can tell, always has a bigger purpose. The destination um, is generally where we stop, right? We're like, okay, I get it, man. From isolation, God brought a revelation, and then he brought emancipation to me, and he brought transformation to me, and all of that was preparation in me for my destination, and I'm finally here, like exhale, (sighs) like I'm here. Finally, thank you, God, that I have finally arrived. You did this in me, and now I am here. We're Esther. You've done this thing in me, and it's for my blessing, and oh, I receive the blessing. After all, what else is there other than me? <laughs> but in the kingdom of God, that which is given to us is intended to be given away by us. Let me say it again. Everything that is given in the kingdom to us is intended to be given away by us. Surprise, surprise, the world doesn't revolve around me. And coincidentally, even what God is doing inside of us is not only about us. God brought his people to their destination, right? God gave the promised land to Israel, but even that wasn't just about them. God didn't wanna do a work just in his people, he wanted to do a work through his people. And so through the bloodline of Israel, the Messiah came. And from their destination, Israel, Jesus was born. Why? Salvation, say it out loud, salvation. Salvation. That's number seven. It wasn't just about God giving them uh, the soil he had promised. It was about God giving them the savior he had promised. God was bringing salvation to their nation. But it wasn't only their nation, was it? The savior was coming to save the nations. What another surprise for God's people. Like what? It's not just like about us, the chosen people. God was coming to save the nations. It's what God spoke to Abraham in Genesis 12. Go to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. They're like, yeah, okay, I get that. I will bless you and make you famous. Okay, I get that. And you will be a blessing to others. What? All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Jesus was born into their destination, in their nation. And from their nation, the gospel of Jesus spread to the nations. It was bigger than them. It was bigger than their process. It was bigger than their promise. It was bigger than their transformation. It was bigger than their struggle. What God is doing now is preparing you for something, and that something is good for you, but that good is not just for you. It is for the good of others. It is always not just about us. But there's one more, one more Asian. Not only did salvation come from their destination, right? Not only was Jesus born there, but the book of Revelation tells us that that's where Jesus will return to, where he will set up his earthly kingdom from. From there, Jesus will gather all peoples unto himself. If you're a Christian, say, that's me. That's me. 
Come on, say it like you're excited. That's me. That's me. Jesus will rule and we will rule with him. He will establish justice on earth. Somebody say justice. Justice. And here it is, the final Asian. That is when Jesus will bring full and complete restoration. Say it out loud. Restoration. Restoration. Oh, that's good. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is John on the island of Patmos, isolated, having a revelation of Jesus. Here's his revelation. It's of what will come. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away, and he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Restoration. The king will sit on the throne. He will make all things right. He will make all things new. Justice will prevail. In isolation, God gave Moses a revelation. That revelation led to emancipation. But once the people were uh, emancipated, God didn't stop there. He said, I want to bring a transformation in them. But this transformation was in preparation for their destination. But their destination was not just about them. Because God wanted to work through them also. And so through them, God brought salvation. Somebody say Jesus. Jesus. And it is to that destination that Jesus will return, set up his earthly, glorious endless, eternal kingdom and bring full, complete, ultimate restoration to the nations. But where did it all begin? A revelation in isolation, a surprising revelation in isolation. So friends, don't be surprised by the fact that God may want to reveal some things to you in this isolation that he may want to do a work in you and through you in this season of isolation. We are here where we are for such a time as this. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, it is so obvious to us that you um, work in, gosh, some of the most unexpected seasons. And so we want to assume that's just a thing you do because we see it all throughout history and scripture. And so then we want to acknowledge that this time we are in is not just something to get through but there was something in the middle of it. You are all about the process, Lord. So often with you, the journey is the destination. 
It was good for your people to be transformed by you in the wilderness. And in our seasons of desert, whether they're a a quarantine or otherwise, you are moving and wanting to do profound things in us. And so we just want to acknowledge that, Lord. We just want to acknowledge that, like, right now, you are wanting to do a work. And so we want to invite you to do that. Um, Church, wherever you're at right now, I just want to remind you that uh, there's always some kind of response required for us to get the fullness of what God is doing, right? Like Moses had to walk into the tent. The high priest had to like walk into the tent. Moses had to go over to the burning bush. Abraham had to listen to God when he said go. Uh, Jonah actually had to like go preach. Jesus had to be obedient. Paul had to leave the desert and go preach to the Gentiles. There's always some kind of like response there. And so I just want to encourage you right now to um, open your heart, maybe open your hands and just say in your own words, God, I'm here and uh, I'm available to participate in what you're doing in my life in this season. I want you to do it in me. I want you to do it through me. I'm asking in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would break chains of idolatry, the idolatry of comfort, the idolatry of security, the idolatry of fear, um, the bondage of anxiety, that you would break that, set people free to receive what you have for us in this season. Let's respond now, friends. Let's respond to respond to what we just heard, okay? Turn off your lights if they're not off. Don't, don't rustle around. Just like rustle around or wrestle. Don't wrestle. Uh, let's sing. Let's respond now through song.